Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Now, everyone in business knows that disruption is defined as disturbance or problems which interrupt an event, activity, or process. But business is always experiencing disruption. But it's how we react to that that determines how successful that we're going to be. We all experienced it last year, and certainly we're seeing it again now with this surge of we're seeing with COVID. And we're still here to tell the story. Now, our guest today is Tom Ziegler. And of course, he's a legend on his own, but he's also the son of the legendary Zig Ziglar, who continues to carry through on the organization's profoundly simple philosophy. You can have everything in life you want if you will just help each other enough to get what they want. That's what it's really all about, helping other people. I think that's really special. He uh, was also a key collaborator on his father's 30th book. 30 books. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine that. Born to Win, and his next book, which comes out in December, it's titled 10 Leadership Virtues for Disruptive Times. Hey, Tom, welcome. Well, Jeffrey, uh, what an honor to be here. I'm excited. I love talking with leaders and top performers. And, you know, the world has changed so much in the last 18 months, but I've also never been more excited than right now from the aspect of if you're a top performer, you've got the leverage. And if you're a business leader and you know how to lead top performers, then you have a huge advantage. So great to be here. I'm looking forward to our time. Well, I know that during COVID, a lot of businesses not only just survived, but they thrived. And let's talk about disruption and change. We know it's a given, but it's a given all the time. But we also seem to have a hard time when things change dramatically. Why do you think that is? Part of it is so many times we are focused on results. We create a system, we want the result. You know, we, we build a platform, we want a result. And when disruption happens, you know, if your system is to feed people inside of your restaurant and nobody can come in, then you can't run the system anymore. So we get out of sorts. And so one of the things, one of the principles that the book talks about and that what leaders need to know is we need to be growth oriented more than results oriented. So what does that mean? If we're results-oriented, we're going to keep running a system over and over again, and the returns are going to get less and less until it doesn't work. That's what happens in a pandemic. That's what happens in a black swan. But if our people and our, our mindset is growth, what did we learn? How can we do better? Then we embrace the disruption because it gives us an advantage. While our competitors are suffering, we're saying fantastic because our people are used to growing and adapting and then developing new ways to do it. Well, let's think about that. When disruption strikes, it normally affects a small group of people, a company, a department, not the entire world. How can we as employers help coach our employees through these situations of immense change? And is yeah. it really, and by the way, is it really our responsibility? Yeah. So let's talk about the sea change of disruption that's happened. Uh, Nassim Tlaib wrote a great book called The Black Swan. And in The Black Swan, he really went into the research behind black swan events, pandemics, world wars, tsunamis, economic meltdowns, you know, all these cataclysmic changes that change everything. And what he discovered was individuals and organizations that let go of the way it was first 
right? They're the first ones to do it. Then they embrace the now. They're the ones who do the best. And so what did we have happen a little over a year ago? We got locked down, right? We went home. Crazy things started. 60 million hours a day were saved in not having to drive to the office. Well, this resulted in actually a performance increase for a lot of white collar jobs. Yeah. You know, I'm going to put my time into work. But then something else started happening. People started getting a little fearful, a little anxious, a little worried. They started seeing loved ones get sick. Uh, maybe they lost their job or their business wasn't flourishing like it was. They had to create a new path. And so then in larger companies, the number one issue became the health and well-being of our people. It went from how do we give them the tools to be successful and fast track them to, you know what? <laughs> My people are depressed. Think about it. You're working at home. Kids are running around in the background. You're trying to make a living and you can't meet face to face with people you've been working with your whole life. And so the first thing we can do as leaders is understand that the situation has changed, that people's mental health and well-being, their balanced life is so important. And when we understand that that's important, then we can serve and support them that allows them to be effective no matter where they're working from. So you talk about strategies. So, so what are the three strategies everyone in leadership should implement to navigate disruption more effectively? Ah, so there's so many different strategies in that area. You know, the first one that I really think about is you've got to live out. The, the title of the book is The Ten Virtues. You've got to live out the ten virtues. So we talk about kindness and respect and, you know, <laughs> all the different things in there. And the reason I say that is when you're communicating in a time of chaos or disruption or challenge or change, it's not only what you say, it's how you say it and the motive behind it. And if you don't have the right motive, if you don't have the right virtues and how you communicate it, you're going to lose your people. Think about this. If you're a top performer and your leader is on a camera and they're telling you what to do, you're going to receive that message differently than if they're asking you, hey, what do you think is the best way to do it? So we've got to get the engagement up. So we live out the 10 virtues, and then we move to coach leadership. Coach leadership is what I'm calling the new way to lead. And in that coach leadership, I'll just do a comparison. The way it used to be command and control, top down, do it because I said so, kind of old school. Millennials don't like it. We've known that for a long time. It's been on its way out anyway. Coach leadership is questions. It's about engagement. It's about collaboration and co-creation. It's about understanding a motivation that the individual has and linking that motivation to the vision of the organization. So that's the third one. We've got to have alignment. So if I'm coaching people to performance, if I'm acting out in appropriate uh, ways where the virtues line up, and then I align the vision of the business with the vision of the individual, then people start to work for a dream instead of a paycheck. And that's a powerful thing. C-Suite Radio. So Tom, in your upcoming book, uh, you address closing the empathy gap between management and staff. First of all, let's talk about what that is. But is there a difference on how management handles disruption versus how staff deals with it? And where is the disconnect? When disruption happens, okay, you're a leader. And, and you, you, we were just talking earlier, you're on a board, they've got some issues. 
right? Yeah. You, you've got to handle the issues, right? And, and so there's going to be some tough decisions. Some people are going to be disappointed, all of these things. So as a leader, you've got to think out ahead one or two spaces and go, okay, these are the facts. Yeah. You know what? We're not going to hit that number. We're not going to be able to do this. When this lockdown first time happened, I got five engagements canceled in one day. <laughs> I thought everybody hated me. And so I went back and I said, gosh, this is terrible. I'm a speaker. I'm a writer. And, and nobody loves me anymore. I took it all personal. And then the voice in my head said, no, you're not a speaker. You're a life changer. You're in the life changing business. And so that can happen online. That can happen a hundred different ways. So the leader has to quickly go back to why do we do business? And then position it in such a way, hey, guys, hey, ladies, this is simply a temporary disruption. We're going to do this, this, and this to handle this situation. And I need all hands on deck. I need your best input on how we can take this situation and identify the problems that people are facing and how we are uniquely qualified to go solve those problems. Because at the end of the day, business, what are we in? We're in the problem-solving business. And if leaders, if we say, oh, this is overwhelming, I don't know what we're going to do next, the creativity, the collaboration, the mindset, it dives, and then you can't solve the problems that are right in front of you. You know, we were talking about that board situation a little bit earlier, and you know, my wife came to me and said, why are you doing this? Because I wasn't getting, I'm not getting paid for it, not involved, but, you know, not, not involved with it from a staff perspective, but from a board member perspective on a publicly traded company. And I said, you know, it's what good people do. The buck stops here, so to speak. I want to get back though. Do you think there's a difference between how management handles it, the you know, handles disruption and how staff deals with it? I do. And the reason is, it's what actually happens versus what we want to have happen, okay? Mm. And there's different levels of management. And so I like to break down the hierarchy into three positions. I like to say you're the owner or you're in the C-suite, you're in charge of everything. You, you get to decide direction, policy, all those kind of things. And then there are coach leaders. I really want people to kind of change the way they identify you know what? I'm not a manager. I'm not a supervisor. I am a coach leader. And then the third category is team member. So I'm on the team. There's, I don't have any direct reports. I'm responsible for getting something done. Okay. And as a team member, as a staff person, when this disruption happens, my immediate thought is security. What's going to happen next? What does this mean for me? How can I help? I hope they ask me. Right. And then the manager, which I want them to think of themselves as the coach leader, they're either in the know completely or they're a little bit dark as well. And so they're going to have a different response based on what the C-suite says, what the owner says. And so what we have to do is as an owner, as the C-suite, is we've got to be true to the vision of the organization. We need to repeat that vision, that mission constantly over and over again. And then when disruption happens, and it's going to happen more frequently, even than in the last 18 months, as we go forward with technology and convergence and those kind of things, when that leader casts a vision, right, the owner, the, the C-suite, when they cast that vision, that gives a parameter the sides of the road that that coach leader can operate on. And now the coach leader's job is real simple. What problem do we solve? How do we do that and fulfill the mission of the organization 
And what is it that's motivating and driving each of my team members that I can tap into where we get maximum aligned performance between those three things, the, the leader of the organization, the coach leader, and that individual team member. And that is spot on. I'm, I can remember, you know, when COVID hit or when we kind of realized it on Friday, March the 13th, back in 2020. And I said to everybody, I said, man, we just got to, we got to drive and thrive. It wasn't a question of well, how is it going to affect me? I know it's going to affect me. We just got to get the mission, the vision, the mission out there. We got to help everybody. We got to be business first responders. That's, that's just so spot on. And then the team, of course, reacted in the same manner and really helped and really pitched in. So tell us about the displacement of power structures between employees and corporations. I want to hear about that. This is a funny kind of a research tip for everybody. So I went into Google and I did keyword and I get these emails every day of articles on hybrid work, remote workers, work from home, all these subjects. And so I get all these articles from all over the world that are coming into my inbox. And about three weeks ago, Apple and Google said, hey, guys time to come back to headquarters. So all the, you know, high performing, you know, specialists who had fled the Silicon Valley, and now they're living at a third of the cost somewhere else, enjoying mountains and, you know, lifestyle and more time with their family. They said, no, (laughs) we're not sure we want to come back. And they basically said, yeah, but you know what? We're the Titan. We're the brand. You need to come back. And they said, well, actually, we're top performers, and we can now work for anyone in the world from anywhere in the world. And that is a unique shift. And so the number one issue facing corporations is the health and well-being of their people, quality, you know, the work-life balance. And the research shows that quality of life equals quality of work. And we've got all this research that says productivity actually went up. So why is that call to come back in happening? It has to do with bias. We've always done it this way. Now, I do believe that there are certain types of businesses where you got to be face-to-face. If I'm going to go to Bain or Goldman Sachs and I'm going to do the fast track, I've got to be immersed in wise people who've done a thousand deals you know, in my first five years. But that's such a small fraction of the world. The rest of the world wow, we can be more productive in a hybrid situation than we are face-to-face every single day. And so business leaders, the number one issue they're facing companies is this, how do I attract, develop, and keep top performers who value quality of life and balanced success? That's the number one deal. Yeah, I think it's good. It's, It's fascinating to see, and we're all learning how much I used to love going to the office at the same time, I love saving that two, three hours a day that I'm not going to the office and using that more productive time. But yet I love to be around my team and I love to have that interaction. So there's a toss, but you can balance that and think about that folks that are listening. You can have balance. And I think somebody wrote that in the chat room a minute ago. And I think that's a life balance with a little work. I don't know if there's such a thing, but you can at least have balance between <laughs> Yeah, the things in and around your life. C-Suite Radio. Tom, you also address a 10 core virtues in your book. What are those? Yeah, so let me get the list out because I want to I want to make sure that I give them to you verbatim <laughs> right, right out of the book. Uh, so I'm, I'm flipping through here. I should know them by heart, but here they are. And the first one is really, this is the one that could literally solve 
problems on the world stage everywhere we go. And that's just be kind. <laughs> that's that's a simple process. And I like that one, though, by be the kind. way. Now, I interviewed probably the number one expert on the world in kindness. Her name is Shanti Fildhan. She's fantastic. And she said, the interesting thing is when you ask people, are you kind? 95% say, yeah. But then when you watch their behavior, guess what? They're not kind. But here's the good news. There are specific things, and we talk about in the book, that you can do to learn how to interact and behave kindly. And kindness breaks down barriers. It allows for communication. When you're kind to someone and your motive is right, you know, your motive is, I'm not arguing to win. I'm, I'm arguing to discover the truth. When you're kind in that approach, then progress is made. Be selfless, right? It's not about me and what I want. It's about the vision and mission of the organization. And if I'm the coach leader, it's about my team. What is it that drives and motivates them? Practice self-control. Gosh, if you want to lose your credibility instantly when chaos happens, lose it. Lose it. Do you want to follow somebody into the fire who does that? You got to show respect. Universal universal. Our company, our history uh, out of dad's foundation, we're biblically based. And I can travel anywhere in the world. I can I can talk to any religion or non-religion. And I walk in there with respect. Why? Because these are people. And we have more values and things in common than we do that are separate. We got to be positive. Gosh, if you want to deflate a team, be Eeyore. <laughs> you know, just Oh, no. Last time this happened, we let go half the people. Oh, my gosh. Good good news. 98% of them just stopped working. We got to look for the best. We identify a problem, and then we get solution focused. We look at the silver lining. We got to be the light. Let's face it. When people go home, have you noticed that people who are, who are at home, <laughs> they bring their problems to work, right? So we got to be the light in a dark time. We got to share that which means we got to develop ourselves. When the time comes, we got to stand firm. We got to, you know what, this is where we're going. This is, this is why we're doing it. This is our mission. And in that process, we got to be humble. We don't know all the answers. And then finally, never give up, right? We are, we are going after it and we're unstoppable. We're never giving up. Right now, we have to put that to practice because we have to get this country back on its feet and we have to get the whole world back on its feet, but especially this country. You also mentioned at least when I was looking through your website, an approach for balanced success. And I think that pretty much everyone wants to achieve that. What's your formula to achieve that? Yeah. So the way you've asked the question, I can go two different directions. So if I go one direction and it's one you weren't expecting, I'll go to the other direction. Okay. So fair enough. Fair enough. And so we've been teaching for five decades that we need to have balanced success. And we talk about the Ziegler wheel of life and the wheel has seven spokes on it. And everybody, this is, this is who we are. So in our life, we have the mental, the spiritual, the physical, the family, the financial, the personal, and the career. Those are the seven areas of life. And in order to have balanced success, we need to be winning in all seven areas. We need to be physically healthy. We need to have great relationships. Our family needs to be stable. We have to have good thinking, good mental mindset. So as a coach leader, what does this mean? It means that as you understand what motivates each of your people, you've got to dig in and say, hey, how are you doing it? How is your health? How are your overall goals in life? Because guess what? If I can support 
and help them achieve balanced success in the mental, the spiritual, the physical, the family, the financial, and the personal, the six areas, the career is going to take care of itself. If I'm winning in all six of those areas, why would I leave the career or the position that I'm in? So that's what we mean. And this is what people are valuing now. So they've gone home, they've had some flexibility, they've had more time to work on their health or spend time with their family. And they're like, I don't really want to give that up. I'm not saying lower the standard of performance at work. I'm saying allow me to be a better human being. And that better human being is going to produce a higher quality of work. You talk about ways to achieve success. And you were talking about three different ways. And it was greatness uh, around greatness. And one of them was around, or all three of them were engage, equip, which I kind of get. But the third one was transfer. What do you mean by transfer, Tom? Dad had this saying. He said that selling is a transference of feeling. If I'm selling you something, you're buying me first. So how I feel about what I'm selling you, that's my first purchase. If I know you're all in, then I'm all in. So as a coach leader, I have to sell ideas and programs and projects and systems. And you got it. I was talking to a doctor yesterday who was having trouble getting attending physicians to fill out paperwork, right? They can't stand it. It's, it's mind numbing. And, and he said to me, how do I get them to fill out the paperwork? And I said, well, what happens is they don't fill it out. And this is what he said. He said, well, uh, we can be denied the claim and the hospital doesn't get as much money. And I said, well, what would you use the money for? And he said, I don't understand. I said, well, I'm sure you don't have more money than you can, you, that you can stand. You probably have plans. He goes, oh, yeah, we have a renovation and a wing of the hospital that we desperately need to do. And I said, well, do the doctors work out of that wing? And he said, yeah, they can't stand it. It's terrible. And so I said, so if they fill out the paperwork, you get more money and you get the wing completed quicker. <laughs> and he said, yeah, that's exactly what happens. And I said, well, what's the mission of the organization to provide the highest standard of healthcare possible? I love that. And so people who are coming into that wing are going to get the highest care possible with the latest and greatest equipment. Doesn't it fit your mission to fill out the paperwork? He goes, yeah, it does. I never thought of it that way. See, you've got to transfer your conviction of why it's important to the team. I absolutely love that. I know you had a pretty good role model in your father. In fact, Tom, I first listened to your father when I was 14 and 15. I met him when I was 16 and, of course, got more uh, more involved with him on the business side when I was about 26. So he was a role model for a lot of people. Which one of his lessons stuck with you throughout the years and maybe which one didn't? (laughs) Well, the number one quote, for me, that dad said that really impacted me was this. You are what you are and where you are because of what has gone into your mind. And you can change who you are and what you are and where you are by changing what goes into your mind. And so the number one lesson that I learned from dad was we got to control our input. Yeah. I got to say, Tom, thank you so much for joining us here on All Business with Jeffrey Isit right here on C-Suite Radio. Thank you, Jeffrey. 
You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.